You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be with you. I'm looking forward to being in the Word with you. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be concluding our series, The Elephant in the Room, today. And uh, I will tell you that of all the ones we've talked about, and all of them are important, all of them have been in our face uh, many times in the last months and years of our life, this one is probably uh, the most appropriate one to be two days before the election. And so uh, as you get ready for Matthew 22, we're going to start in verse 15. I want to uh, say to you that today we're going to be talking about the political extremism that has swept across our nation, uh, how we are a nation divided and ever more so divided than many of us can remember, or at least not in any recent years. Uh, We live in this land divided, but let me assure you that this is not the first time there's been a political landscape where nations have been divided. And I can tell you that in the time of Jesus, there was much the same going on, at least in its most broadest sense that we're going to talk about, uh, especially today as we look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 and on. So let me just read it, and then we will pray over it, and then we will jump into dissecting it a little bit, and we're going to walk through what it means for us. And let me tell you, there may be points today where you want to turn me off. My wife would probably like to turn me off a lot of times at home. Uh, I encourage you not to turn me off because I want you to to let the Word of God wash over you, and there will be a lot of different passages of Scripture. Let me also encourage you that if you'd like to take notes and you miss some notes, uh, just email our office, and we will get those to you, or text me later, and I'll be glad to send them to you, and you can have all those. Just try to let the water of the Word wash over you today, that He might purify His bride through the washing of the water of the Word. So let me read Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. We'll go through verse 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. In other words, how to trap Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Lord, we come to you in the midst of a difficult time for our nation, an overwhelming moment for many of us. And so as we are unsure of what's going to happen in the next few days for our country, we can be sure that you will still be God. So Lord, we need you today to work in us and to give us hope that you can work in us and place our hope in the right place. For Lord, we depend on you, we rely on you, whether we recognize it or not, and we need you now. Lord, work in me this morning to preach your truth, even in spite of me, if need be, Father. And I ask you to give us all a love for you that would be filled from you for your love for Jesus, a a love for your church that comes out of your love for this church that drove you to send Jesus to save us. 
and a love for the lost that sent him out of heaven to this place where there was many enemies that plotted to take him out of life. But Lord, thank you for sending us the one true life who is Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Let's look in verse 15. Let's kind of break this down bit by bit as we go through. So if you would, uh, hang with me. Let's break it down shortly, and then we're going to jump into what this means for us. So verse 15, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, it's important to note here, the Herodians and the Pharisees were not normal bedfellows. Right? The Pharisees were the teachers of Scripture that were what you might call conservative evangelicals of their day, the extremists seen by the rest of the world around them. They were all about obeying the law, all about teaching the law. They thought that the law should drive everything. They knew the law inside and out. And then you had the Herodians, which were the people that they would consider to be traitors. The Herodians were those that were supporters of Herod who was the political leader of the area who had been put in power by the Roman government that had full sway over the land. And so the Pharisees were nationalists in the fullest extent that would say, Herod doesn't have any right, the Romans don't have any right, and they would be at odds most of the time. But here they have found a common enemy. So they have banded together, and his name is Jesus. And they come at him and they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, where they're already lying and blowing smoke from what they really believe. They say in verse 17, Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Kind of sounds like recent debates, doesn't it? To be honest with you, this is the landscape we would see going on. People that thought you should pay taxes. If Jesus sided with the Herodians that you should pay taxes, he would be seen as a traitor to Israel. Definitely not the Messiah in the eyes of the religious right. And if he had been saying that you should not pay taxes, those who were patriots to Herod would have called him a traitor there, and he would have been brought before the king, per se, of the area, and have been tried on that as well. So there was really a no-win question here. But in ways that he always does, Jesus does have a way to win. But it's not just a quip. It's not just something that's smart or wise. There's a lot of depth to what he says here. So let us see what he says. Jesus says, verse 18, aware of their malice, he said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? That word is even foreshadowing. Look at here, verse 19. Show me the coin for the tax. Jesus didn't even have one of these coins. But everybody was using the money that was stamped in Caesar's image, all right? So we asked these guys, you're asking me what I should pay taxes with, give me one of those coins to pay the tax with. So even the guys that would say it's wrong to pay taxes have coins in their pocket with this image on it. So they brought him a a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And actually the more direct word is whose image and whose inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What a remarkable statement. Jesus looks at them, he asks for a coin, and on that coin would have been a picture of Caesar's face. And he says, Whose inscription is this? Whose image is on this coin? And he says, They say, Caesar. And he says, Well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
and give to God what is God's. And just implicitly pointing to the fact that we are all made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that in his image we have been made. That we are reflections of his goodness and glory in our essence of being created. And so he answers in a way that they cannot trap him. They heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. He said, I think we're going to learn a lot about this. In fact, the main point we're going to look at is simply his statement where he says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He doesn't say, don't give it back. He doesn't say, don't pay taxes. He doesn't say, don't follow the leadership at all. He just says, give back to them what's theirs, or give to God what is his. It's a big statement. I think we could say it like this. We, as those who are Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, those who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, poured out on the cross in our place to save us from our sins, we, we are a people of two kingdoms. We are a people of two kingdoms. And we're going to talk about how that works together this morning. But let me say it outright that this land, the United States of America, is our country But if you are a Christian, it is not our home. It is not our home. We are alien exiles, sojourners in a foreign land. It was our home, and then we were bought by the precious blood of Jesus, adopted into the family of God. And now we are his. And Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, our new home. So until he comes back, we are exiles in a land that is not ours. We are foreigners in a land that is not ours. 1 Peter 1.17, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Talks about how we're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. In verse 21, he says, Through Jesus, who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, listen, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Brothers and sisters, our faith and hope can never, must never be placed in our country, our ultimate faith and hope. Our faith and our hope must always be placed in our Savior. Always. It's a simple statement, but not one easy to follow. 1 Timothy 2, 9 First Peter, I mean 2, 9 through 12 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means when Jesus returns. What if, brothers, what if, faith family, God has chosen to allow us to live in this land in this time so that we might have the honor of proclaiming truth and hope in the name of Jesus to a people who otherwise would not and could not know him? What if it is not the end being near for our country, but what if it's the beginning of revival in our land, no matter who becomes president? What if he would deem us worthy to stand whatever test may come our way so that we can proclaim the goodness and hope that only is found in Jesus. John 17, 
Jesus says in verse 14, he's preparing to go to the cross. He says, I have given them your word, and the, word has ha- the, world, the world has hated them, he tells his father as he prays, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, talking about his disciples, ultimately talking about us. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus came to bring us into his kingdom and he leaves us to do the kingdom work so that through the processes we endure, including persecution that might come for various reasons or just hardships or suffering, that we might be sanctified, shaped into the image of Christ more and more so that he would receive the glory and we would receive joy and so that others would come to faith. What an honor. No matter the outcome of elections. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the honor of being your emissaries. Hebrews eleven, thirteen says, talking about all those that had gone before, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Do you get it? We're strangers and exiles. It's not our home. This is our country and you can love it. But you can't love it more than we love Jesus, right? This is a place we love, a place men have died for, given their lives for, given years for. And we thank them for that and we honor them for that. But this is not our home, not anymore. The Bible says we have a duty, even while we're here though, to submit to the governing authorities of this land. It doesn't say if your guy is the guy in charge. Romans 13, 1 through 7, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He goes on through many things, talking about wrongdoing and rightdoing, and he says, verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You see, we should obey the government as much as we can. Now remember, he said back there, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. So if those two collide, then God's going to win because God is over all things. But we should obey the government. And even greater, we should pray for our government. It says it again in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and even thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is, listen, pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We must use our freedoms, brothers and sisters, in this country as servants of God, and it starts by the freedom of getting on our knees and praying for our nation and praying for our leaders, no matter who they might be. 
starts for praying for opportunities to give the gospel, for God to open our eyes to the opportunities he already has in our way. But our faith and our hope can never be placed in our country. It must always be placed in our Savior. Even though we have a God-given duty to seek the welfare of this city and the welfare of this nation, we see that in Jeremiah 29.7, and it is still true today that people that were in exile and God told them to seek the welfare of the city, it says it goes well with you if you do. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And there may come a time where you cannot seek the welfare of some of those things because they're in conflict with our beliefs in God, but otherwise seek the welfare. This duty, by the way, does not completely align with any one political party. Just to make sure we're clear. Ruffle a little feathers, right? This duty, though, seeks the welfare of everyone that's in need, and everybody's in need of Jesus, in need of other things. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And we must be sure about this, sometimes one party does a better job at some of these and another party does a better job of the others. It's just the way it is. We don't have perfect parties. We have a perfect Savior. My favorite of these, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. And we use that often for talking about abortion for the babies that are unborn, but it's also for those babies who have been born whose fathers are nowhere to be found. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. In other words, the, the destitute and the afflicted, those who have nothing, have rights in the eyes of God. And the Israelite rights would have been to take care of those who have nothing and are not able to take care of themselves. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Brothers and sisters, we cannot look at the world simply through the lens of a particular political party. We have to see the world through the blood-stained lens of the gospel of Jesus. Let us not divide like the rest of the nation. Let us struggle through an election, knowing that either way we pull for someone who does not look like Jesus, knowing that we pull for someone who in some way will go against the Bible. Knowing that no matter what we do, even to better our country, whatever our decision is in the polls, that our ultimate decision is to place our hope and faith in Jesus and lead others to do the same. Just like God said through Jesus when he's tested here in verse 21, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that's what we've been talking about, and to God the things that are God's. Our duty to God always supersedes our duty to country. If they're ever in conflict, God wins every time. Easy to say yes until we live in the anxiety that has been driving most of us through the last months and years. The day and time might even come in our country, no matter who is elected president, where we will face persecution for even speaking the name of Jesus. People don't mind right now if you say something about God, but they get real upset if you mention Jesus. But even then, we have nothing to fear for what can we do but serve our king. Who's already secured us, 
even yet while we were enemies, he has secured us with the precious blood of his own son. We see it in Acts 5.27 that when Peter and the apostles were brought before a council and charged, it says they answered, we must obey God rather than men. Isaiah 33.22, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And he will save us. No one else will save us. Our faith and hope can never be placed in our country. It must always be placed in our Savior as those who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And we are marked by his image. I mentioned it earlier, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And because we were made in his image, and we've been bought with the precious blood of his son, we can know this truth as well, that we were made in his image and we are not our own. So just like he says, that's got Caesar's image, render it back to him. He says, whatever is God's, and that's us, render that back to God. Our totality of self. 1 Corinthians 6.19, last week or two weeks ago we looked at it. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. That price was Jesus' life. So glorify God in your body. So what does this mean for us? What do we do? How do we, how do we deal with these two things, these two kingdoms that pull at us, that we love very much? How do we decide what the right thing is to do on Tuesday? How do we deal with what are the ramifications are of whoever comes out of that election on Tuesday or December or January, whenever that gets resolved? We have four pieces for us that I think will be helpful. They're not just out of this, but they come from this, and they're all over Scripture. The first one is we must, and don't lightly think of this, we must surrender our hearts to God. Every moment of every day, all the time. Let us not give our heart to this country. Let us give our hearts to the king. Don't let us place our hope in a political party, but let us pray, place our hope in the Prince of Peace. Let us not ever attach our heart or our hope to a president, but let us only find our great and only hope is always our great and only King Jesus. He alone. So let us trust that God is still sovereign, even in this land, no matter who becomes our president. And let us surrender our hearts to that God and King. It's easy to talk about. It's not easy to do. Our hearts are so often surrendered to the newsreels we watch. I must admit my heart was surrendered to depression as I watched the first debate. I have not watched the others. I could not stand to look. We must surrender our hearts to God. He's purchased every bit of us, including our hearts and our hopes. And in Him alone do we have real hope. He's the only one that really loves our hearts. Secondly, we must be content to be in the loving arms of our Father, it must be enough. And if you've been 
saved out of your sin, you are in the arms of your Father no matter what's going on. You are held together every moment, every molecule because of the grace and mercy of your Father who loves you more than you can ever imagine, who loves you more than you can love your own children. He is a Father of great love and great hope and great mercy, and He loves you in a way that you can find contentment in His arms no matter your circumstances. Paul talks about in Philippians 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7 and skip ahead to 11 just for time. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not just if your guy wins the presidency, I could imply. Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That means you can't lose your mind if your guy loses. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's coming. He's coming. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you surrender your heart? You find contentment in Jesus. You find contentment in the arms of your Savior. And He will guard your heart and guard your minds. Maybe if you're overwhelmed with anxiety, it's because you haven't been run into Jesus. Let us run together, brothers and sisters. We all could do it better. Let us help one another run to Jesus. That's why we need each other. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says it. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. That means go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that, that God the Son has commanded. Not teaching them all the reasons they need to vote this way or that way. You know you don't convince many people of that. And you and I can't even convince somebody to believe apart from the Holy Spirit working on them, right? But let us be the proclaimers of that truth where there's true hope, eternal hope. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all those other things, the Lord will take care of it. Even if it doesn't look like it's being taken care of to us. For he sees all things in all time. And he knows what is best and what is good, what is right. And thirdly, surrender your hearts to the Lord. Be content in the loving arms of your Father. And be good citizens of this country. Hear me right, I'm going to pause there. I'm not through with the statement. Be good citizens of this country. But let us be even greater emissaries of the King. Let us love our country much. Let us strive to make changes in our country for the good of all that live here, all who will live here. But let us become even greater emissaries for our great king. That is our ultimate purpose. Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, as he's summing up the, the preface of this great Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you, talking to believers, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, our job is to be the salt 
to go out and be the sustaining, the maintaining power of the world with the Holy Spirit living in us as we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. As we proclaim the goodness of Christ, we will be the light of the gospel. These passages have been used by so many for, for, for conquest, for so many in country steps or national steps. But this finds its ultimate purpose in the words of Jesus to talk about the gospel of Jesus. That that is how we are the light. Our nation will be a light if we are a nation of the gospel. And it starts being on our knees, seeking to tell people about Jesus. Listen, I said it a couple weeks ago in a different way. Let me say it again. People of the other party are not our enemies. They are our mission. People of our own political party are not sanctified by their political positions. They can only be sanctified by the blood of Jesus. They are our mission too. And believe us, brothers and sisters, believe me, I mean, all of us have said it, I'm sure, they are watching what we will say. They are watching what we will do. They're already watching how we argue our points. So let us make sure that we argue more for Jesus and for the gospel. And live it out in mercy and grace. And let us never be wrecked. Let us never be wrecked by the state of our country. Instead, let our hearts be wrecked by the state of the souls of our countrymen. Let us be wrecked in our hearts by the eternal state of our countrymen including our president, including our senators. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, that means to anyone, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Do everything you do, even arguing. Do everything you do, even talking about politics, to the glory of God. If you can't, we shouldn't do it. Brothers and sisters, we can get so caught up in hoping that a president can save our nation. And the temporal, a president might even, might even be able to save our nation. But only Jesus can save the souls of our countrymen. Only Jesus will bring true peace when he brings his nation to this nation. So let us serve our country by serving our king above all else. Let us save our countrymen by giving them salvation in Jesus. Because whoever becomes our next president, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, whoever it might be, Mrs. Harris, Mr. Pence, whoever becomes our next president, God will use our president. Listen, this is the hard truth. God will use our president to accomplish his sovereign end. The president might be the most powerful man in this world, but we serve the king who is the king of the universe. He will use whatever president is in place to accomplish his end. No one can thwart his plan. No one can overcome his kingdom. They've been trying for decades and centuries, and no one can do it. He will use whoever is in power to his end. 
Because he is the sovereign king of the universe. And he is ultimately the sovereign king of this country. And he's the king of our hearts and our faith family, our loving father. And our country's future does not rest in any man, but only in the God-man, the one true God. That's it. And we can find hope there, brothers and sisters. Philippians 3.17, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, he says, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Not in your votes. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Because one day we will no longer be citizens of two kingdoms. One day we'll be citizens of one kingdom. Even this country will become fully the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Revelation 11. We don't go there very often, do we? Some of you might wish I would a little more. We'll see. The Lord leads. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, talking about the end that is coming. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Amen. That's good news. That's worthy of celebration even now. We know the end. It's going to happen. This is when you're watching the movie and you know the end and you're like, oh, they think they've got it. I know the end. It's going to be really good. Watch. It's going to be good. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints. He's talking about us, brothers. Even in our sinfulness, he's calling us saints. He's coming for us. And those who fear your name, he's coming for you. Both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. No matter who wins the election this week, our God will always reign supreme. Praise the Lord. Praise our God, our King, our reigning supreme King. He deserves the glory, no matter who wins an election. No matter who is our next president, there will always only be one sovereign Savior, and His name is Jesus. And let us find joy in Him on Tuesday. Let us find joy in Him in January. Let us find joy in Him when it's hard and difficult. Let us find joy in Him when our suffering comes. Let us find joy in Him when it is difficult to be together and difficult to be apart. Let us find joy in Him when pandemics may rise. Because He is sovereign over the universe and no one can thwart His plans. Let us find our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. For he alone deserves the glory and the praise and the honor and the fame. And let us be good citizens of this nation, but let us be greater citizens of the kingdom. The Bible says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Father, we need you now. 
seemingly more than ever, but Lord, you've shown us in your word it's been going on. Conflict has been rising and falling for eons and eons since the fall in the garden. So Lord, we trust you. We believe in you, but help our unbelief, Lord. We want to give you our anxiety. We want to find contentment in you, Lord, but help us with our unbelief. Lord, there's people here today that have never found hope in you, and today they might have heard the gospel for the first time. Lord, we beg you, bring them to salvation today. Let us be a part of your kingdom expanding, of the light going out in the darkness, of your son Jesus being proclaimed as great and glorious, as the only Savior, so that he alone would be made much of, no matter what is to come, whether our guy or another guy, whether, whether it be one party or another. Lord, let our hope be in you alone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for holding it all together. Thank you for using everybody to your end, no matter who they might be in leadership. And thank you for sending us Jesus, the one who alone deserves to be lifted high, who bowed his head low to become one of us, who knelt before you praying for us before the cross, who climbed Calvary with a cross on his back and was nailed to that tree for our sins, and our sins laid upon his shoulders, your wrath poured out on him, that he drank it down to the last so that we would not have to endure it for eternity. Lord, what a glorious Savior you've given us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Let us sing of his goodness now. Let us proclaim his greatness now. And help us find our hope in him now. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.